I don't know in the church that we teach well enough that everyone has a responsibility. Why? Because everyone is saved by the same blood of Christ. Everyone caused Jesus to suffer for them, for all, an eternal price. I don't know that we can ever say, well, he suffered more for you than for me. That's kind of ridiculous, to, to be honest with you. His sufferings, and only maybe he and the Father know exactly what sufferings were for each person, if they even measured that. But the point is, he suffered for everyone. Mm. And as a result of that, we, we are to take ownership in the kingdom. My dear listeners, you are listening to That They Might Know, a podcast where Jesus Christ is at the center of our discussions and dialogue. Uh, I have with me today Matt Culhep, and he uh, is a member at uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And uh, we will be talking about ministry-related things today as he is going to be with, what's the name of the ministry? Campus Outreach. Great, and let's just start by asking a couple of personal questions. Uh, tell me a little bit about your family life growing up. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me on the podcast, Joe, uh, here in the studio. Um, yeah, uh, I'm from uh, California, grew up in Southern California. Um, I have two uh, faithful um, Christian parents um, who raised me in the, the fear of the Lord, um, and I know, and I have uh, three brothers. I'm actually the third of four. Um, yeah, I got two older brothers and one younger. And um, yeah, they all are out in Southern California while I'm going to school here um, in D.C. And <clears throat> what did, were you telling me earlier about your dad and how he has kind of mirrored Christianity for you? What are some of the things he experienced? Yeah, I'm really thankful for my father, uh, who's always been um, a huge witness to me, Um of being a faithful Christian. Um, he did grow up in the Catholic Church, um, but always knew that his lifeblood came from reading the Word. And so um, a lot of his, um, yeah, spiritual, yeah, just his knowledge came from um, from reading the Bible on his own. Um, and I think he knew the gospel from um, earlier than when he came to the, the Protestant Church. But yeah, all gr- growing up, I would see him, I would wake up, and he would be, um, drinking his coffee and reading um, from God's Word in his chair. And um, so I always had, yeah, just a present example in my life of this is what it means to be a Christian, is to be in regular uh, fellowship and relationship with with uh, with God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, and so, yeah, he was a faithful witness to me, even though um, I actually didn't become a Christian until, until I went to college. And what brought you to D.C.? Yeah, so where I'm... Where from? Did you mention where you're from? Yeah, I'm from Southern California, um smallish suburb um called uh, newberry park or thousand oaks which is suburb of of uh it's called ventura county it's a county north and like an hour northwest of los angeles gotcha yeah and what brought you to dc yeah so i was always really interested in politics and going to law school and so um i thought what better way than to be end up in dc and being studying out here and getting a job and eventually working in dc so um I made the move to come out here. I went, I'm going to school at Georgetown uh, University. Um, yeah, so it was really 
uh, career and uh, pursuing a job out here. Gotcha. And what would you say about how you got saved, how you became a Christian? Yeah, so before before I was in college, um, a lot of my identity was really in um, comparing myself to other people and feeling better than a lot of people. And so um, to me, that's how I saw faith fit in was um, it was this thing that made me feel superior to other people. So I would, you know, my classmates just pursued worldly things, would party and drink, and I didn't do any of those things. So I thought that, yeah, I must be this great Christian guy that's better than them. Um, and I didn't really, I had no relationship with Christ. And I didn't treasure Christ in himself. I really treasured him for how it made me feel better than other people. Um, so that kind of continued. And um, Georgetown was just the next step of that was this is how I was going to get this prestigious job. I was going to be this uh, great high powered lawyer or politician. Um, and so I, I came to DC. And actually, um, what I was struck with was um, not this career culture that you find in DC, but I was struck with um, yeah, Christian older brothers in the ministry campus outreach that I met at Georgetown. Um, and I was struck with, man, they do the same things as me. They live, um, moral lives. They don't drink or smoke. And, you know, they can argue about why Christianity is the best, which I cared a lot about why, um, you know, this God of the Bible must exist. But, um, yeah, they did it for a different reason. I could tell that, um, they had, uh, something else behind them and they had this joy of Christ and so that was infectious to me I was uh, drawn to their joy and so I think through yeah just the witness of their lives which was so clear to me just in how much time I spent with them and then yeah going to Capitol Hill Baptist Church and honestly reading the Bible with them first John I just understood that after that year I don't know an exact moment when I came to saving faith but I understand that after that year, I understood, yeah, that uh, Christians live in light of what Christ has done for them. They live because of the love that Jesus showed them, um, and they live for Him. Um, and so, yeah, it's been a sweet time in college instead of growing and learning how do I, how do I live, how do I actually do these things that I've pretended to do for so long. Um, so that's, yeah, I think it happened my freshman year. So if I if I understand what you're saying, it became pretty clear to you that the people that you were interacting with were uh, they their motive for the things that you said caring about the church and all was really Jesus himself right where would you well, obviously you've made that transition tell me a little bit about that transition for yourself yeah so I think um, it was just abundantly clear that they did things for that I'd only ever heard of, honestly, um, and they did it, uh, yeah, out of love. Um, and I think they, uh, what was clear to me was in the way that they interacted with me, how they, you know, they spent so much time with me, so much energy, um, and they loved me in an unconditional way that I'd only seen in my parents, but never seen in, in peers or people, um, people outside of my family. And so, yeah, I think... I started transitioning and seeing that my life didn't look like this. You know, I didn't read the Bible. I didn't um, pray. I didn't have, I didn't know Christ. I really didn't know who Jesus was. Um, he was just this thing in the sky. And I could tell by just how I lived my life that I was living for myself. Um, and so 
Um, I got involved with Canvas Outreach, and I think, yeah, these guys started discipling me, and then I started going to a lot of the Canvas Outreach kind of larger events. So actually, my my freshman, a lot of ministries do this, but they do like a long summer project. So we did a summer beach project, and it was eight weeks long, and it was really, um, can you learn how to grow and be a Christian while just life is going so fast? So we'd actually work full-time, and we would... Um, go to all these classes and go to all this, go be under all this teaching and live in a room in like a motel with three other guys. And one of the guys would be discipling you. And so I think through that is when I first just started saying, okay, I want to, I want to actually grow in these things, not for show or for myself, but I want to do it for, um, for Christ. And yeah, it was definitely a rocky path um, at the beginning, a lot of growing pains, a lot of learning, uh, how to handle my own sin, handle my own pride. Um, yeah. And dealing with a lot of disappointment of, yeah, I haven't been living this way. And I see all these people who have this heart to, to read the word and to be sharing the gospel. And I just don't, I don't have this in me right now. I don't, I'm not this person that loves doing it. And so I think, um, yeah, I had to deal with a lot of that and feeling very, um, inadequate, feeling very, um, self-conscious. So, um, yeah, and really thinking about what am I, what I really want to do this for, um, and I want to live for Christ. So, um, yeah, and a lot of reflecting on my own testimony, I think, was very helpful to me early on. So that's where you started <clears throat> to see this vision, if you will, hmm. for a fuller Christian life. Yeah, Christian life isn't just about me. It's not like going to God like you go to some, uh, you get some lucky rabbit's foot, and it's going to meet the need for the day. But rather, you're doing Christianity uh, for a more personal reason and the person being Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, is that, is that kind of... Yeah. And I think a lot of the churches I just grew up going to in California really stressed how Jesus answers all these needs you have, like you need to feel loved or these other things. And because I never really felt that, I didn't... I didn't ever have like this. I never grew in my relationship with Christ and I didn't see it as I actually have this problem, which is my sin with God that I'm separated from him and that there's actually this glorious thing, which is a relationship with the son of God that, um, that I never desired. I never really had, yeah, this vision for, yeah, what does it mean to, to walk, uh, walk with the Lord? And I think I hadn't really thought about what's going to drive my, um, obedience and living as a Christian for the rest of my life. It can't be this image and thing that I just cared about before. It has to be something more. And so I think, yeah, my, my first year was a lot of seeing that those examples of people who, yeah, were clearly, um, you know, living for other things. And so I started seeing a vision of, this is what I want to, this is what I want my life to look like. Even though it doesn't look like this right now, I could see this is what I want it to be. I want to be like these people I see. So right now you're 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 going to school still, correct? I'm still going to school, right? So you would you consider yourself like part of the ministry now or no? Um, yeah, it's kind of a weird uh, in between. So I'm uh, right now I'm a senior at Georgetown, but I actually graduate in December, so I'm graduating a semester early. Um, so I'm what's called contingent staff. So I'm. Uh, I'm hired by Campus RHCC. I was approved by a board of, of church members, um, but I'm still, I'm kind of waiting. I'm kind of in between. It's kind of like being a Christian in this life. You're waiting 
right? You're waiting for the final day, right? You're kind of in between. I'm kind of like the in-between stage. So I'm not uh, a full campus staff, but I'm also not, you know, just a student. So I'm kind of in between right now. So I'm waiting until I graduate and until I raise financial support. So I'm a little in between, but I would, I would consider myself a part of campus outreach. Yeah, right. a campus outreach staff. So you're part of campus outreach, but would you still say that as of right now, that you feel like you still are in the expectation stages where you, you can't say you know exactly what it's going to be like and at the same time, but you have a vision for what you think it'll be like. Right. Uh, you've experienced eight weeks during the summer, which obviously was a, an eye-opener. Um, so what are you expecting and uh, what pitfalls do you think there might still be? Or Yeah, no, that's good. Um yeah, I think I'm definitely in the not quite there yet. I've been so since since I was that was you know I went to this beach project when I was a freshman. I've grown a lot, and since then I've been very involved with campus our, campus outreach and the ministry at Georgetown. Um, involved with a lot of evangelism on the college campus, a lot of discipleship of younger guys, um, and trying to and praying that there'll be um, laborers uh, with me. But I think yeah, you're right. I'm not there yet i'm not um uh quite on staff yet and i've only experienced it in like a kind of a part-time as a student i haven't been this isn't my job yet this isn't the thing that i'm giving my uh my like my occupation my life to for the near future so yeah i am kind of waiting i think yeah in terms of expectations um yeah i think i expect um yeah some of the i think some of the the positives is to really grow in uh, faith, uh, trust in the Lord. Uh, I think of something I've been reflecting a lot on is Second Corinthians three four to five, which says that uh, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. And so, yeah, what does it mean to trust God and to say that when I'm doing any ministry, that it's all the sufficiency is from is from God? Um, yeah, I think that that'll be just growing because I'll just see that I can't. I'm so inadequate to to do all these things that are laid out for me. Uh, there's just so many students on the college campus, and I can't save even one of them. I can't save myself. Um, so yeah, I think that's one thing I am uh, definitely looking forward to to growing in and expect that that'll be a big part of of my growth. Um, yeah, I think pitfalls are. Um, yeah, how do I grow, um, or how do I think more about, um, yeah, being in this ministry, and yeah, I think in the same way that I've always struggled with pride, is how do I do it for the right reasons? Um, you know, it's easy to compare yourself to other people, um, and to think that you need to bear this amount of fruit, or see the, this amount from yourself, and um, yeah, I think that, that'll be a big challenge for me, is um yeah, keep looking to Christ, keep doing it for him and for his sake um, and being content on just being faithful and uh, and not having the success that maybe other people are having. Um, I think that'll be a big thing for me because, um, yeah, I think it's just easy for me to want to be seen by others and that to be a big driving force. So I think that's like a, a pitfall I want to be watching out for and uh, be careful. Of. So what are you terming, <clears throat> what are you defining as? Success. Um, yeah, success, I think, is uh, not in terms of fruit. Um, I think that, yeah, God will 
bear fruit um, as he will. But I think success really is um, in how faithful I am on the college campus. So am I being um, true to God's word? Am I being faithful with how I'm sharing the gospel? Um, am I, um, yeah, being led by the spirit while I'm doing it? I think that these are like kind of general categories, but I think in general, yeah, it's not going to always look the same for everybody, what success looks like. Um, but yeah, I think even in that, it's going to feel, I'm going to feel inadequate. Like I'm not living up to these things anyway. Um, but yeah, I think in general though, it's more about, um, uh, my own faithfulness rather than, uh, what, what happens from it? What are the effects? Um, I think one of the hardest things to hold on to, uh, is that idea. The reason I say that is because when you meet somebody and you, you know, what church you go to, a lot of times the next question is, how big is it? (laughs) You know, why that should matter, I'm not exactly sure, but oftentimes that enters into conversation. You read through Acts, and you were just talking about Ephesus and all, uh, uh, before we started. Uh, You know, the, the question is, why is it that Paul goes to a city and boom, there's a church planted. And he goes to another city, and he's stoned. Now, we're talking about the same man. <laughs> you know. Mm. So I, I think it's a good idea to keep in your mind mm. you know, exactly what you're thinking. Faithfulness mm. is the real issue. And faithfulness doesn't look at fruit. Mm. I mean, it's not a coincidence. God said, some plant, 1 Corinthians 3, some water, but God gives the increase. And he's not necessarily given the increase because this man is more faithful. Hmm. He's, he's already knows who's going to be saved. He told Paul that too. Look, don't be concerned. Don't worry about this. I have people in this, uh, in this city. What's that mean? There's people ordained to eternal life in this city. And I want to use you to, 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 get, to preach them and, get, and see them get hmm. saved. So that's, that's really the biblical definition of success. Yeah. 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 And uh yeah, I think it's yeah, just I think it's a hard thing to to remember too because we oftentimes in ministry you want to think about how to be successful, like how to bear fruit. Um but yeah, you have to keep in mind that yeah, just like Paul, like we can't expect anything except to be to be hated and and yeah. Maybe I should ask you this question. So, uh what are your thoughts on discipleship? Because that is evangelism and discipleship is going to be a big part of your ministry. Right. So how do you viewing right now what discipleship looks like? Hmm. Yeah, so I think that um, yeah, discipleship, the big part of where that comes from is, is Matthew 28, um, the Great Commission to go and make disciples. And particularly, I think it's talking about um, teaching. It's a, he says... Go and make disciples of all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And then it says to teach them and teach them all the things that I've, I've commanded you. And I think that part of teaching, he commands them to when you make these disciples, after they've confessed faith, they've been baptized, teach them to observe everything that Jesus commanded them. I think that is really what captures discipleship is how do we teach people everything that Jesus has, has commanded and keep that's the thing that's been passed down from generation to generation from the beginning. Um, but yeah, how does that, I think, and I think the model for that is how do we raise people who are not Christian to be Christian? We share the gospel with them, right? And then how do we raise people who are immature believers to be faithful 
um, mature laborers uh, for God's gospel. Is that a question? I mean, yeah, I think it is a question. Um, I think because that's how, that's really, but I think that's really what discipleship, the model is, is we want to disciple people. We want to teach them to be, at that point, is to be laboring and also themselves want to disciple. But yeah, I think that is a question for you, Joe. Uh, (laughs) How do you think through uh, discipling? Um, And I think there's more questions than that, but maybe your first year general thoughts about it. You know, that is a great question. Uh, the reason it's great is because I don't know that we think about what a Christian is in terms of labor. Sometimes we, we may not think about it correctly, and I'll even tell you why. Obviously, God does call people into what we quote-unquote call full-time ministry. Not all people are the same. Not all people have the same gifts. But by building two camps distinctly the way we do, we have the camp of ministry, and Martin Lloyd-Jones, a wonderful preacher from mid-20th century, many, many times he would refer you know, to this idea that all people who are Christians are responsible to live the work of laborers. And not only him, but I mean... but. But the point is this. I'll give, you a, I'll give you a story, and it'll lead into this definition. So my son, when he was growing up, uh, could care less about the car until he came to drive. <laughs> okay. Now, he's going to take it, and he's going to do the whole graduation thing at high school, and he's going to go to the party, and he's out on Saturday waxing and washing and <laughs> and cleaning the rugs and making it look spotless. What happened? You know, there was an ownership that took place. He went from just getting from one place to the other and he's not driving it and it's not his responsibility to... Now it's like almost part of his. Dad's giving him the car for the night or for whenever he needs it. So now it became his. When it became his, he took responsibility for it. I don't know in the church that we teach well enough that everyone has a responsibility. Why? Because everyone is saved by the same blood of Christ. Mm. Everyone caused Jesus to suffer for them for an eternal price. I don't know that we can ever say, well, he suffered more for you than for me. That's kind of ridiculous, to, to be honest with you. His sufferings... And only maybe he and the Father know exactly what sufferings were for each person, if they even measured that. But the point is, he suffered for everyone. Mm. And as a result of that, we are to take ownership in the kingdom. So when he says, go into all the world and make disciples, and we ask, who is that for? Obviously, it wasn't for the 12, uh, the 11 that were there at the time, because they're not here anymore. We are the disciples today. So then when we start making distinctions, well, it's the pastor's responsibility. Really? (laughs) Well, it is his responsibility. And it's your responsibility. It's my responsibility. Because scripturally speaking, it goes to everyone. That's my first essential answer to to discipleship. I know you have more questions for me. Let's continue to look at discipleship. I love the subject. Yeah. um, I think the thing that... Uh, came to me was how do you 
how would you think through someone? I think we see a lot of this in the church. They want to grow themselves personally. They know the kind of the needs that they want to follow as a Christian. Um, and I think I was like this when I first became a Christian. I knew I wanted to read the Bible. I knew I wanted to do these things. They want to grow in their knowledge of the word, all these things. Um, but the one thing they don't really have a vision for is evangelism and discipleship themselves. They see it as very internal uh, faith. How do they grow? How do they grow in their relationship with Christ? But they don't see it as kind of what we're talking about, uh, this responsibility we all have. And I think um, a lot like Second Corinthians 5, like we're compelled by the love of Christ. That's how we live. That's how we do our thing. Uh, we're outward in our, in our life. How, do you, how would you think through kind of discipling this person to change? Okay, so two answers. One, it's almost part of the same, but I was sharing with you before. Uh, Exodus chapter uh, uh, 18, where Moses is coming, he meets Jethro. Jethro says to him, what are you doing? He's got this massive amount of people coming to him, and they're asking him for advice. And he, at this point, is like a judge. And because there's disputes, there's problems, and he tells his father-in-law, you know, well, you know, we have, I have to judge. I'm teaching them the law, and, uh, and, and they're having issues. And then Jethro says, you, you're going to wear yourself out. This is crazy. So pick men who will be over 1,000, over 100, over 10, you know, and the humble Moses that he was at 80 years old, who's already experienced the miraculous working of God, takes it, to ha- takes it home. And he only made one difference. He made heads of a thousand, of a hundred, of fifty, and of ten. So think of it. You got people who are interceding and doing this thing of ten people. Now, I don't want to go into, you know, what may have distinguished a a ten person from a thousand person. I just know this. God gifts in the church his people. And it's far beyond us to understand exactly that gifting. We, we tend to look at the categories in the Bible. He gave pastors, teachers, evangelists, apostles, prophets for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. To do the work of service. The body of Christ is there, right in Ephesians chapter 4, for doing the work of service. So whether it's a man who's over a congregation of a hundred or a man who's discipling ten men or a woman who's discipling ten women, the picture there is involvement, responsibility for other people. So in, in that idea there, you, have, you don't have just a man who's standing in a pulpit once a, once a week and preaching or a series of men, a group of men, you know, but you have multitude of men within the body taking responsibility. Now, here's the question. How does a man, and this is your question, how does a man become responsible to disciple other men? Hmm. To which I'm going to hit you with another question. Okay. Uh, what is a disciple, not a disciple maker, and you've already kind of answered it, is a person who's what? A, a follower of Jesus Christ. And how does he follow by learning what Jesus taught, correct? Right. So that means he has to think through all the things that Jesus taught. Now, here's the big issue. How much is he thinking it through? You know, in the Middle Ages, are you familiar with the seven deadly sins? Yes. Do you know what 
Well, the pride is the first one, and there's a list. Now, you aware of laziness? Yes. <laughs> you know what distinguishes lazy? This is where people get confused. What distinguishes lazy, not that I'm you know, a big advocate of the seven deadly sins, but I like this definition of lazy because lazy in their definition was not a person who doesn't do anything. It might be a person who works 80 hours a week on a job. But on other key responsibilities in their life, they say, hey, I just worked 80 hours this week. I'm done. I'm not responsible for anything. Well, but you're a husband and you're a father and you, you have a home and you have all these other responsibilities. You then become lazy for other primary factors because you're doing so much in this one area. That's the definition of lazy. Not that you don't do anything. Hmm. That you don't do other primary responsibilities that you're supposed to do. So here's a guy, and you touched on this in your testimony. Here's a guy who goes into Christianity for selfish reasons. I'm going to read the Bible for whatever reason. I want to know Jesus. I want to grow. I want to be a faithful Christian, or I want to understand what Christianity is, and it's I, 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 I. First of all, you're supposed to be thinking through the doctrines and the teachings of Christianity well enough that you'll be able to be, quote-unquote, successful, really faithful to Jesus Christ the way you are, or are supposed to, or should, according to responsibility. Mm-hmm. That takes a great deal of mental exercise not just to know that Jesus' mother was Mary, but how he lived a godly life. What gave him his character? Thinking through what gives a man victory over sin. This is not like just a snap, easy one. you got to think, and you know what? The definition of a disciple is a person who has given himself to the mental awareness of the things he's learning. He has to think it through. The definition of disciple isn't just a follower. You can't be a blind follower. Uh, That's where the crowd's going, so I'm going. Why? Well, I don't really know why they're going there, but I want to go with that crowd. (laughs) That's not a disciple of Jesus Christ. A true disciple thinks it through extensively. If you're going to be responsible in doing that, then you tell me, how is it that you're not going to become capable to show someone else? Mm. You answer that question. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you should be. Yeah, um, but yeah, I think it's still a hard. Uh, it still becomes hard. How do you get there? Um, I think, and and uh, maybe I think people, even when they're they seem committed to to learning about Jesus, they feel. They still have feelings of inadequacy, like they can't be this person to do it. And it do just you, do you feel that way? Um, I don't feel it now, um, in the sense that I don't think that, um, yeah, it's like impossible for me to do it. Um, but I think that, yeah, I did when I was when I was younger, when I when I was a freshman, and I saw all of these people uh, who cared about witnessing to their non-believing friends and who wanted people to be saved and wanted to disciple others. Um, and I didn't have the same desire. I think I just felt a lot of yeah, bitterness and like, I don't know, I don't know enough. I'm going to, they're going to realize that I'm not who I think, like who I want myself to be. Um, and so I just saw this big gap between me and other people. And so, um, what was the reason for the gap? Do you know? 
I think honestly, um, I didn't, I didn't love the gospel enough. Mm. I didn't love Christ enough. Mm. Um, and the reason why, um, I think that it was a lot of things changed when middle of my sophomore year, I went to, um, a conference, Camp Sourish holds called New Year's conference. And, uh, David Platt was actually speaking and, uh, he said, um, yeah, he, all he did was present a message on Genesis one through three, basically. And he just talked about the gospel. Um, and I was just struck with, um, yeah, how he just cared so much about the gospel, even though he's been preaching it for so long. And, uh, I think he broke up the idea of the bad news and the good news. And to me, um, that was like fundamental in understanding, like, this is something that, um, yeah, that I, that I can't keep to myself. I want other people to know. Um, so I think, yeah, honestly, reflecting on the gospel, um, and understanding more and more of how, how necessary it is, how much mercy it required, um, how much it cost Christ to do it. Um, that's what drove me to desire these things, to desire to, to evangelize others, to want to disciple other people. Um, so there's a verse in Luke's gospel <clears throat> in kind of connection with what, what we're talking about. And I, I think of it in terms of a big verse. And the reason is, number one, the, the verse is 747. Okay, so it's a, a, a 747 is a big plan, big plane. But in, in, in the gospels, this is a big verse. So Jesus goes to Pharisee's home. And while he's at the home, there's a woman who comes in and she's washing his feet with her tears. Probably had them in a bottle and she's wiping his feet with her hair. And the, he, she's touching Jesus and the Pharisees saying, you know, if, if, if this man was really a prophet, he would know what kind of a woman is touching her, that she's a sinner. And Jesus reading his mind, it says he answered the Pharisee and said, you know, there were two benefactors. There was one benefactor, a man who owed, two men who owed him. The one was owed a lot of money, and the one was owed a little money. And which one do you, he, he, he forgave them both. Which one do you think loved him the most? And the Pharisee says, well, I suppose the one who he forgave the most. And he says, well, you, you've answered correctly. And then he goes in and says, you know, this woman came in, she hasn't stopped washing my feet, my, she hasn't stopped drying my feet with her hair. You know, you didn't do anything. I mean, that's was his responsibility as the man of the house. You're walking in the dirt in those days and you had, you know, sandals on, you get your feet clean, there's certain response. He didn't do any of that. So then he, he finishes with this verse and he says, Therefore I tell you, her sins which are many are forgiven, for she loved much, but... He who is forgiven little, loves little. Now don't miss the main point of that passage, of that story. It's not about some people sin a lot, and some people sin a little. And the one who sins a lot, he's going to love more. That's not the point. The point is, we all have an eternal price forgiven. The point is, how much do we understand how much we're forgiven? How much do we appreciate what Christ did in dying for us. It's not even uncommon among Christians. Oh, you get saved. I'm thankful. You're really hot and understanding this. You're really, you know, fervent about what Christ did in the beginning. And then it starts to wane. You know, Christ left us in a sinful position where sin is capable of doing it every day still. 
Not a sinful lifestyle like John talks about in his first letter, where that really needs to be done away. We're, we're new cre- creation. We're new creatures in Christ. But dealing with sin is something which we have to do every single day. And every single day we can have an awareness of just how much Jesus forgives. This is the desire and the motivation, if as I understand what you're talking about. I'm going into ministry. I appreciate that Jesus forgave me. This is why I want to do it. This is the purpose. So as far as desire goes, behind discipling other people, that comes from forgiveness and love. Because I love Jesus, I'll obey Jesus. And Jesus said, go into all the world and make disciples. I think we lose sight of that as long, along with the fact that we put too much on leadership to do the discipling when that is as much responsibility for everyone. Mm. Now, how do you become a capable disciple? Now, you're going into it. So what's the answer for that? <laughs> how do you become a capable disciple? Capable. You know, one who has the capability of winning others to Christ and then maturing them in the Lord. How does that? How does one become capable of that? Hmm. Yeah, I think um, I think a lot of it is what what you're saying is is um, do you first um, do you first know this this love? Do you actually know? this Jesus that you want other people to know. Um, I think a lot of it is actually reflected in your life. Um, I think teaching is good to be able to have a lot of knowledge and to be able to share a lot of things. Um, uh, but I think there's a lot in First and Second Timothy about yeah your actual life. How much is your life actually? Um, yeah, how much does that actually reflect this teaching that you're asserting? Um, so I think that... Um, yeah, even I think of a lot of 2 Corinthians 3 and 4 talks about um, this. The ministry of the new covenant is that we're actually beholding the glory of God and we're being changed from one to glory to the next. That's what it, it's like to be a Christian is we actually get to see God through Christ. Um, but then it talks about in 2 Corinthians 4 that in the same way, like this is the, this is the message that we're showing people is that we actually have this message of this uh, glory um, and so I think that, yeah, that's like a, and it talks about like how it's, we're actually displaying this, this glory because of how we are similar to, yeah, we're displaying this glory of God through us, um, and through our lives. Uh, that's part of witnessing the people. So I think, um, yeah, a lot of it is in your own life. How much do you, uh, love Jesus? How much do you actually live this and how much is it is it reflected are you a, a hypocrite or are you actually um living it out um but yeah i think it's it's tough it's not always um straightforward like how to uh how what it means to be capable because i think a lot of it is we're not capable on our own um, and i think that's something i've been thinking about a lot as i go into ministry is i want to have all of this information ready and have the answer to every question that I could need and know how I can transition everything the right way. Um, but I think it's clear like we are vessels that God will use um, and that, yeah, our confidence is really in him. Our sufficiency is in him. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I think that's a lot of different ideas, but um, 
No, that's good. <clears throat> when I asked you that question, I had two two parts to an answer, and you, you gave me the, the first part, which is good, which is living the life. You know, a disciple is one who leads, a discipler is one who leads the disciple to Christ. You can't lead someone to some place you've never been. Hmm. So no matter what the circumstances are that a man is facing, you, you need to, as in Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, you know, we comfort people with the comfort that we've received from Christ. Hmm. You know, so if a person's been in a battle and he's been in a war and he's coming back and he's got all post-traumatic you know, traumatic stress and all this, it's really best for that person to meet up with someone who's been through the same situation. It doesn't have to be, but that's best, according to Paul, according to 2 Corinthians. So there is that element in discipleship. But that's not all there is. You know, the other part is the Word of God. As the older you get, the more you walk through, the more you experience, the more you did with God, the more you did it in the Word, the better disciple maker you, you become. If you walk through the Word. So that begs this question, how do you read the Word? If you read the word just to read the word like you read a novel, you're going to get something from it. But you're not going to get from it what you need to to do a really good job discipling other people. If you study the word like an engineer studies what he needs to build a house, he's not going to just read. He's got to be passing tests. He's got to be knowing the information that he can put it into practice. That's what you have to do. You have to read the word you have to know how to read words. You have to know how words fit together. You know how to go into the origin of the word to know what the meaning and definition biblically of the word. Study to show yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. I like that translation because it's like a surgeon with a scalpel. He's not just cutting like a cle- with a cleaver, a butcher does. He's separating things so he doesn't cause extra bleeding. He's moving, removing only the parts he has to. That's how we, we're supposed to study the Word, to know it that when The better you know the Word, the better you can disciple. Just that simple. And if you're walking with Jesus and your life reflects it, now, you, now you're doing really good. So having said that, I think we're coming to the end of this uh, episode. I have loved having... Uh, do you have any last words or thoughts or questions for me, Matt? I've, this has been with Matt Colham. Uh, Colham. Colham, yeah. And you are half Japanese. and <laughs> Even though you don't look it. <laughs> any last thoughts or questions you want to ask me before we close? Um... Yeah, I don't know how much time we have, but um, I I think maybe the biggest thing I would uh, love talking about. I think this is a, I think because we're talking about kind of we're talking about the person. How do you get them uh, to kind of own or own this gospel? But I think a big part of that is your relationship with your disciple. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. and I would wonder if you could just touch on yeah how and uh, we've talked about this before, but in Acts uh, twenty when Paul is leaving the Ephesian elders there. They're crying over him leaving, um, and there's tears shed. Um, and you've talked about the love that they've shared. Even though Paul was clearly a man of doctrine and of, and of truth, um, he also had this relationship full of love. Um, so I think that's something I'd love for you to just 
share maybe to end, like how do you win the hearts of your, of your disciples? How do you have that, that relationship that I think is so key for them to actually grow? And I think you see it with Jesus and his disciples too. When Paul is writing to Timothy, and you've mentioned and that has key books of the Bible for discipleship, uh, he says at one point, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace. Grace is something that's not merited, it's not earned, it's not deserved. It's, it is totally a gift. So if we receive anything from God and all that we receive from God and everything we have we receive from God, in the Christian faith where redemption and forgiveness is, uh, forgiveness of sins, all of that, all our inheritance, everything we have is a gift of grace. And we understand that it's in spite of the fact that we're sinners. We've offended God and we've put his son to death as a sacrifice in order to redeem us from the penalty of our sins. Understanding that grace for ourselves, it gives us the ability to show that grace to others. Now I will tell you, nothing wins the hearts of other people as when you can show grace. You know, I had somebody who left not too long ago, and when he was leaving, he was expressing, you know, his love for me. And the first thing that he mentioned was the grace that I had shown him in the years that we had been together. And, you know, we, we, we did things together. We talked an awful lot. I talked him through all kinds of things. Now, this is a brother, in my opinion who was a faithful brother, loved Jesus, was willing to listen to anything I had to say, and do what was needed to do to live a godly life. And this guy, this man, this dear brother, is talking to me about grace. Now, if it was a rebellious brother, if it was someone who wanted his own way, I could show him the same amount of grace, but you know what, he probably wouldn't be thinking about how much grace I showed him. Hmm. And I have seen this, and you talk about winning. I don't know that it's something we can really do. We, we can't do anything ourselves. But it was became real clear to me one time. I had two guys I was dealing with years and years ago. And the one guy, uh, I talked to him in the softest, most kind, unoffensive way that I possibly could. The other person, I caught him doing something wrong. Uh, I met up with him sitting on his stoop into his house and we went into his house and I basically laid him out for what he was doing. I, when I say laid him out, I didn't yell, I wasn't mean, but I just was straight as I could be. I wasn't holding anything back. Now guess which one turned, did the right thing, and then thanked me beyond measure for what I had did. Probably the second guy. It doesn't fit the narrative because we're told to be kind-hearted and we're told to be you know, patient and all of that. And that gets interpreted a lot of times as soft. Well, you're right. It was the second guy. The second guy that I was not soft with, I was straightforward with. I didn't pull any punches, but I didn't love him any less. Understood the love. He repented. And you know, we talked to this day. Uh and the other guy just didn't get it. And it, it, it hit me. Yes, 
love, grace, patience, kindness, all of those things have to be exhibited as much as they can by the grace of God in our lives. Uh, but there, And Mark was talking about that today. There's no substitute for speaking the truth. You know, one of the chapters in my book, I talk about Jesus as one who, like no man ever did, always spoke the truth, no matter how penetrating it might have been. He spoke the truth. It might have torn a person's heart, but he was going to speak the truth because that's the most loving thing to do. If you can show grace, you have to do that. Whatever that means, for whatever relationship you have, grace, you know, and it's not, it's beyond us. All of these things are beyond us. Spend a lot of time in prayer. <laughs> okay. The more you pray, the better it's going to be. You know, to just exhibit grace to people. Okay, having gone through that, are we... Are you at the end of your yeah. questions? <laughs> I mean, I always have questions for you, Joe, but I think we've got to wrap up for the listener's sake. <laughs> okay. Uh, maybe we'll do this again sometime. <laughs> oh, this is Joe Durso and... Matt Colehep. And we've been talking together about from the podcast uh, that they might know. Uh, we wish you a great day. And you can give the closing words, just a couple. Yeah, thanks for tuning in to That They Might Know. Um, we loved listening. Hopefully this was a blessing to you and you learned more about um, ministry, but probably more about discipleship, which is uh, applicable to all. Um, I think Joe and I's desires for everybody listening to have wherever you are in your in your walk with Christ to be so compelled by the love of Christ to, to want to disciple others. Um, yeah, keep, if you want to know more, um, if you're, if you're a Christian, that's for, if you're a Christian, if you're not a Christian, we love uh, for you to reach out. Um, yeah, we know, we understand as Christians that uh, the most important thing is if you've been reconciled to God through Christ. So we, um, yeah, just urge you and encourage you to, to check out Joe's website. Um, Joe, your website is the Jesus is, You Need to Know. Jesus You Need to Know, which is the same thing as his book. Um, but yeah, follow, you can also find the email there. Um, uh, to, to email him and, and we can be in contact with you because we'd like nothing more to be in contact with you and, and talk to you about what it would mean to be a Christian. But um, yeah, thanks for everyone uh, tuning in and uh, we hope you have a, have a great week. Thanks, Matt.